0: writing all the time is incredibly cathartic Uh, anybody i would urge you to do it if you can if you've got that you know desire to put things down even if it's just for you do it because it, it just does so much good
1: everyone this is the Run Your Life podcast and I'm host Andy Vasley. Today on the show the inspiring Scottish poet Donna Ashworth joins us to share life lessons learned from her journey as a poet and best-selling author. Donna has written eight books and with a following of more than a million Donna's poetry speaks to the hearts and souls of countless people around the world through the themes of love, life, and loss. A little bit of backstory. Uh, My wife, Nila, and myself first met Donna and her husband, Robert, many years ago. I think it was in 2007 when we were living in Baku, Azerbaijan. Uh, Donna and her husband, Robert, had been living there and, and were very grateful for the opportunity we had to meet them and spend time with them. So we were able, my wife and I, to follow Donna's work over the years. And the more and more she got her writing out into the world, to be honest, it didn't surprise me because when I first knew her many years ago in Baku, it was clear to see the creative talent that she had. And I remember her being driven Um, as a writer, and she had done some work for a magazine in Baku. I think she might have started up the magazine, but I remembered her being very creative. And when I think of Donna, it's really easy to see how committed she is to helping as many people as possible understand that their imperfections, flaws, and failures are a genuine part of their own journey of learning that ultimately make them stronger and more resilient and to know that they are capable of so much more than they realize. To me, Donna is a genuine living example of someone who has overcome many obstacles in her own life in order to achieve the success she has And she's done this by embracing vulnerability in a way that has helped her to develop the courage to speak her truth. Her journey and her work has inspired so many others to find their own truth and authenticity. And we're going to dive deeply into those themes. And what I appreciated about uh, my discussion with Donna was her honesty and her willingness to speak openly about her own struggles. And what I said to her was that when people like Donna speak their truth, they give permission to others to do the same, to be a beacon of hope and light for others. And that's what Donna is. And I see her fulfilling that role through her work as a poet. It was a genuine joy to interview Donna, and I hope you find your own insight and takeaway value from our discussion And that you share this episode either on social media or you send it to a friend or family member by email. But I really do hope that you'll share it with anyone who you feel might benefit from listening. And with that, let's jump into the first part of the discussion, which focuses on early years in Donna's life, how she developed a love of writing, and how the specific process of writing poetry is a healing mechanism. To not only overcome struggle and hardship, but to create the conditions for better mental health and fulfillment. So here we go. Donna, we just had a catch up after, I'm trying to think back. 2007 2008 so that's like 15 17 years ago or or whatever when we first met in baku azerbaijan (laughs) and it's so wonderful to uh, not only see the work you're doing and putting out in the world but to reconnect with you it's amazing so thank you in advance for taking the time to be on my podcast
0: it's such a pleasure and thank you i've already said thank you for inviting me it means a lot and you know, as in the way of social media these days, I feel like I've watched your life in the last sort of 15, 17 years, but we've never actually spoken. So it's delightful.
1: Yeah. And and Neela, uh, who you know very well, um, just loves your work and um, had so many good memories of time spent together in Baku. But for the listeners right now, you know, many listeners might know your work, but just tell us who you are, where you're from and what you're most known for.
0: Uh, sure. My name is Donna Ashworth and I am from Scotland. I live in the middle of Scotland at the bottom of the hills and I actually live on a street named after Robbie Burns, the very oh, famous wow. Scottish poet. <laughs> mm. And uh, I write poetry and I have seven poetry books and you may have seen something that I've written flying around the internet over the last couple of years.
1: Yeah, it's it's such amazing work and to set more context for that work in our discussion today. And based on your craft and your life's body of work, uh, when you think of your life right now and the work you're doing and and your process of writing and all of that, um, what is it that you feel most compelled to share with the world through that work?
0: Without a doubt, it's the power of sharing and the power of sharing exactly as you are Mm-hmm. And not as you feel you should show up, but uh, the truth behind that sort of facade that we were all taught to to, to keep on. The imperfection, the the power in somebody's ugly truth. Um, you know, it's hard to narrow it down. But if I had to pick one thing, it would be the power of sharing the the real things.
1: Yeah, and that's that sense of when when we uh, create a sense of vulnerability. And we share our own truth, we give permission to other people to do the same.
0: You do completely. And it's it's life-saving. It's not just life-changing, it can be life-saving. I think the difference between feeling alone in a thought or a situation and realizing that somebody else has the same situation or thoughts can be the difference between, you know, a life survived or a life thrived
1: yeah that's that idea of collective consciousness and yeah. when we when we really start to begin to understand people's stories and what they've gone through and their learning experiences and how they've come out oftentimes on the other side better for having gone through what they have um it's that idea of tapping into that collective consciousness knowing that we're not alone and what inspires me about your work in general as an educator I think back to all of the students that I've taught over the years, the young, brilliant minds. And if we could project back in time uh, to when you were an elementary school student, and I could be a fly on the wall, let's say in your grade three or four classroom, looking in, can you describe the type of young student that we would see?
0: Yeah, you wouldn't be able to miss me because (laughs) my hand was up constantly. I think um, I was very much trying to please all the time. And I realised quite quickly that I was that I was clever and that I could retain information and regurgitate that information, which pleased, you know, teachers. And I love to write. So I was never short of anything to put on paper. So I was very much the person trying to get the top of every list, trying to answer every question, trying to get the top marks. Um, And that went on pretty much through my whole school journey, that sort of perfectionism, that need to constantly seek approval uh, and validation.
1: Right. And when you describe that, what strengths do you feel you developed at that time that would go on to serve you? in the work that you now do?
0: I mean, I think the work that I now do, I've had to sort of chip away and and, and get rid of all that because, mm. you know, that can only be sustained for um, short bursts of time. You can't live your life constantly mm. wanting to be the best at everything. And, and you know, when I failed, I failed, you know, and I attached my self-worth to things that I could not totally control and that's how other people see me so if anything it has served me in that I now do the opposite of that Mm. having learned you know having crashed and burned as a teenager when the minute I left the sort of institution of of high school um, and looked at the world I panicked, crashed, burned, imploded, the perfectionism you know went against myself um and I had to strip it all back and start again and I had to start again finding what my worth as a person is if I'm not doing well if I'm not achieving awards and if I'm not you know at scoring high in tests um so possibly the opposite for me
1: yeah and that's learning you know learning to flip the script and and to know what no longer serves us and as yeah. you say, that perfectionism no longer served you when you left school and maybe entered the so called real world. But if we could project back in time and talk to your elementary school teachers and tell them what you would go on to do, would they be surprised or would they say, no way?
0: Yeah, they would not be surprised. And I am in touch with a couple of my teachers and they're not surprised. And I always love to perform as well. I was always you know in a play or making a play if no one else if the school weren't doing a musical I would make one and (laughs) cast everyone and cast myself um and I always uh I always had a lot to do with words and writing and I was always entering competitions you know writing competitions and getting little pieces in the newspaper
1: um
0: so they wouldn't be surprised at all i don't oh, think that's
1: that's amazing <laughs> um you know cuz a lot of times talents are revealed later in life and talents sometimes people stumble upon these talents through hardship or through difficulty or having to change life paths but it sounds with you that it, it was always that creative process was always embedded deeply within you from a young age
0: yeah definitely i've always been i've always had ideas and to the point where my ideas were so different and strange that I I thought myself mad for a very long time and I thought nobody else is thinking like this. And there is a time when that is not a nice feeling and then there is a time when you think, "Oh, nobody else is thinking like this. Perhaps that's a good thing. Um, And I see it now with my my eldest son who, who has a brain very similar to mine. Uh, and he sees things in a a really different way so uh it's fascinating I mean I I wrote poetry as a kid but I didn't actively write poetry I didn't know I was it was a thing that I was doing and I didn't do it between the age of sort of 16 to 45
1: 44
0: Mm -hmm. so um When I look back at how the the whole poetry thing began again, it it felt like a shock and something different. But actually, I was doing it, you know, Mm -hmm. when other people weren't writing poetry. It was something that I did for my own. um, It was something that I did for my own mental health. I found a lot of diaries recently and they were full of poems and they were very similar to the ones that I'm writing now, I could probably put one on the page mm. and people would be none the wiser that it's, you know, 30-odd years old. So um, it was definitely there without me ever really realising it was there.
1: How did it feel or how does it feel to look back on your early writing as a young person? What comes up for you?
0: Yeah, it's it's sad because I remember, um, I think my teenage years were awful for me. Um, Not because anything terrible in my life happened, but because my my mind was a terrible place to Mm -hmm. be at that time. Um, So I knew how much I was suffering and I can can read them now and remember how difficult that was. But at the same time, that sort of um, the perspective flips that I've sort of acquired over my um, life, were there I can see that I would try and and flip things to bring comfort to myself I would I'm quite a melancholy person in my own mind I've had to really work at finding the light finding the positive and that's why I do what I do and that's why people think that I'm really positive and sunny but that's come from a dark place not it's not a natural thing I've had to reprogram my brain to search for it and I could see that early searching back then um and it's hard to see that but it's also you know it's it's also fascinating
1: yeah and what comes to mind when you say that is Marianne Williamson's work where I'm not going to get it perfect but I remember that she talks about in her writing shining the light on our darkest corners to reveal truth and wisdom and insight so although we might define it as darkness By shining the light on that darkness, we reveal greatness within.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's I've never read that before, but that sounds really similar to something that I've written and said often. And that, you know, in the middle of the night, you can see a scary thing in the corner of your room. And when you put the light on, it's a chair covered in clothes (laughs) and you have to go into your darkness with light to look at it and and once you're in there with the light it's not scary anymore it's scary as you're doing it but then you know you you've taken the darkness away and you know you can always bring light into darkness but you can't always bring darkness into light you know mm-hmm. that's the power of light you can you can shine it
1: mm-hmm.
0: so yeah really similar and yeah, I 100% agree with that
1: yeah. And your work has gone on to touch the lives of millions of people, and especially during a time when people needed it the most and need it the most. And, you know, not just the pandemic, but I think what people learned about themselves through the pandemic and the isolation and the loneliness and the depression, but also the creative talents that people found within themselves to get them through that isolation. And before I I share my next question, I want to frame up the impact of your work by sharing a few quotes from other people about your work. And your work is described in this way, with honest lessons learned from rock bottom, Donna's writing helps us to find courage in chaos and rise to every challenge, sparking joy, surprise, and gratitude on each page. This collection will soothe your soul, strengthen your spirit, and help you find your own unique voice. So I have three quotes from listeners or listeners or readers of your work. Um, The first one is Donna's much needed words will no doubt empower and lift our young people today. Another one, uh, a little corner of calm within life's storm. Wonderful. And the last one, Donna has a rare gift of being able uh, to put into words how we all feel. Her writing is like a hug from a wise friend. So, And I'm sure you've heard lots of people share what your work means to them. But when you hear that, what does it mean to you? And how has writing become a healing mechanism for you to overcome the difficulty you've experienced in your life?
0: I mean, it still blows me away that anybody reads something that I've written and uh you know these amazing comments they're they're just well they're like the, the the fuel to to the fire they keep me burning they give me purpose they you know they keep me so um afloat with the, the energy that they, they bring with them from the people who wrote them um that it just keeps me driving on in such a positive way um, but it's it's difficult to sort of if I stop to to read a lot of them at once, I, my mind is blown <laughs> and I have to sort of move on and do something, go and do the laundry or, you know, uh, take the dogs out and do something really normal. Because what I don't want to do is fall into that sort of um, space where you you see yourself as something um, different than, you know, you. you You've got to stay in, in you looking out rather than oh this is you know this is how people see me it's not it's not a great space to to uh, exist in um, but I'm so grateful for the comments and there are days where I desperately need them when my imposter syndrome kicks in and I think who am I to be writing hmm. <laughs> poetry um, and on those days I seek them out and I I you know I drink them in and I'm so grateful. Um, but it's it's very therapeutic the writing for me. It's a, because I'm constantly um growing. I'm th- I'm 38. I'm gonna yeah. be forty next month. I just lost a decade. <laughs> um and you know, I'm not done growing or, or changing or learning. I'm nowhere near done. So everything that I write will there will always be more to write two years down the line when I add a little different perspective to it. Um, It's not that I've written something five years ago and I'm going to stand by that for the rest of my life, you know, because we're all changing and that poem will stay there for somebody who's at that place Mm. and it will do good work for them and then somebody else will need a different, you know, perspective. So it's constantly healing for me. I'm constantly having to, to do more work because as my life changes, um, my insecurity and my self-worth gets challenged at times in a different way, in a bigger way. Um, and so I have to keep working to remind myself what matters, what's important. I don't want to, to be consumed by my work all the time. I've got children, you know, I've got friends, and I have to keep rejigging everything like we all do and remind ourselves what is important today you know what do i need today what do the people around me need today um so writing all the time is incredibly cathartic uh, anybody i would urge you to do it if you can if you've got that you know desire to put things down even if it's just for you do it because it it it, it just does so much good
1: Absolutely. And when you were describing that, and, you know, what you describe is uh, so many people get caught up ruminating about the past or projecting into the future without remaining present, and taking life with each present moment, and then stitching all of those present moments together to um, continue to move forward in empowering ways and when you talk about your difficult days, and then those quotes and those things that people are saying about you, your work, is really rooted deeply in positive psychology and this idea of, you know, imposter syndrome or having doubt and uncertainty about ourselves and our talents and our work, is to scan for the past, uh, scan for the evidence to prove the inner critic wrong. Yeah, and and that might be those moments for you where if you're having a difficult day and And you kind of read what people are saying about your work that buoys you up. but it's also scanning for the evidence of impact that continues to intrinsically motivate you to continue to create because it matters not only to your own learning journey and your own growth, but it matters to others too
0: and I think to myself, somebody has taken time out of their day to go onto Amazon or Facebook, <clears throat> or whatever, and write a comment to promote my work to for, for nothing other than they wanted to add some positive energy and attach it to my name. And that is such a gift because that, that energy from that person, they've put that there and they've attached it to me. And, you know, that in itself is such a huge boost that somebody has taken that time because you were so busy. I mean, I always think to myself, in the past, I should review that. I should do this. But you forget, don't you? Mm -hmm. Um, So that person, it has meant something enough for them to go and do it. Makes me feel really honoured that they've taken the time or if they've sent me a personal message and they reply back, I can't believe you've replied because you've so many followers. And I'd reply to every single one because if it's a private message, someone has, you know, tried to direct that immediately to me. Um, and it's really important. So it's not just the words that they've said. It's the the fact that they've done it and the energy that they've sent my way. Uh, I can almost feel that little zip of energy. We put it in my pocket and, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's a coin. Um, so yeah, it's it is a good a good tool when I'm feeling down, or I start to doubt myself, or I start to think, you know, you're, you're not good enough, someone is better. We can't stop those voices in our head. We, you do, you never get rid of them, but you can you can learn how to overrule them and silence them, and you know, and uh, move them along to the place where they belong, which is low down in the mix. Um, and that's what I've had to really learn to do.
1: Yeah, beautiful. And um, one of the quotes that has, I I don't want to say changed my life, but I've kept it very close to me for the last five or six years. And we have a chalkboard wall, a couple in our house, and I always write quotes up there to remind Neela and the boys and myself about what matters most. And one of the quotes that that really impacted me, especially with my own journey and overcoming trauma and reminding myself that the stories I tell myself create my reality. And, yeah. and, and the quote is from a well-known performance psychologist, Dr. Jim Lair, who uh, wrote a book called, several books, bestsellers, but his last one is Leading with Character. And what he says is, the power broker in your life is the voice that no one hears. How well you revisit the tone and content of your private voice is what determines the quality of your life it is the master yeah. storyteller and the stories we tell ourselves create our reality so that resonates with me in everything you just said about yourself and your journey and and your your followers and the impact that your work is having on them
0: yeah and it's 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 so important what you just said because i can't uh, stipulate enough how true i find that to be i have got one of these overthinking brains wonderful if you've got a job like I have now we're overthinking when you've got an outlet for it but when when that is all just flying around internally the storyteller within me is absolutely crazy and I look back over my life and I see the narrative that I've created totally my own creation and how I've I've projected that onto other people and tried to match it with their behaviour and gone, yeah, I knew it. I knew I was right. And, you know, it's a very yeah. dangerous thing. And I caught myself doing it last week and, and my husband said to me, "You, what's up? I can see. And I said, oh, I'm in the middle of a real, you know, episode in my head where I've created this entire story. And But I have to play it out. The only way I can go through it is to, is to talk to the storyteller in my brain and say, yeah, but you know that's not true and you know this is a story and now you're going to – but it actually affects my nervous system. It affects sure. my movements and, you know, my stomach and my my head um, and it's absolutely fascinating and none of it is based in reality. It's all based in fear and um, it's all based in fear, really, and that, you know, yeah. that insecurity, things that have gone wrong in the past. Um so I, 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 that it's one of the most important things is that that voice that no one else hears is is everything.
1: Yeah, and what Jim says, Doctor Jim Lair, is that we would never want what we say to ourselves broadcasted on the jumbotron of a major sporting event for the eighty thousand people to see because we're so shitty with ourselves, right? So, so what uh, you're describing uh, yeah. in in the the moment of uh, a high inner critic is we begin and you know what's called confirmation bias so we're going to suddenly look for things that we think confirm that shitty narrative yeah. and, and if and, you look,
0: you find them
1: yeah yeah but pattern disrupt and that's what you're talking about having the skills which take time to to train and develop within ourselves yeah. but having the skills to pattern disrupt to say yeah. mm, there you are yeah there you're showing up Thanks. You can just sit on the sidelines. You don't have to go away. You can sit on the sidelines, but I got this. I'm in the game. I don't, I don't, <laughs> you're not in the game with me, right?
0: Exactly. And I I I found myself talking to my inner critic last week and saying, go on then, tell me the story. How awful is it? How awful am I? And it almost gave some humor to it as well and helped me, but it still took me a week. It mm-hmm. still took me a week. I had to play that story out. I had and of course, whatever you look for, you find. Mm-hmm. If you're looking for flaws, you find flaws. If you're looking for positives, you will find positives. Whatever you look for in this life, you will find. So if you're constantly searching for proof of you know how rubbish you are, that's what you're seeing. Um if you're looking for the opposite, then that's what you're seeing. So it's a really simple shift. But you have to constantly do it. You have to practice it and practice it. Yes. And even when you think you've nailed it, you have to practice it, you know, every time it rears up. Um. But being aware of it is is the
1: more than step. half the
0: back. And I think wouldn't it be great if we were all taught this yeah. at a really early age, if we were all taught how to pattern disrupt and how to, you know, watch out for the, and how to separate the voices, because only one of them is on your side. <laughs> yeah. The rest came in the back door when you were vulnerable and found a place to live mm-hmm. and you know only one of those voices uh is is on your side so yeah
1: yeah and what performance psychology suggests is that it's not about sending the voice away it's acknowledging it and and knowing that it's going to be with us and it ultimately is probably creeping in to protect us in some crazy way yeah. for whatever reason but um acknowledging that it's probably never going to go away but to as you say continue to work on the skill of recognizing it when it shows up and then mm-hmm. and then disrupting it and then really tapping into your true essence and your true story to continue to move forward in empowering ways right
0: yeah and uh, and uh, the thing that helps me the most is realising that everything, like you say, it doesn't go away. It doesn't mean it's always there. It comes and it goes. It comes and it goes. Everything comes and goes. Happiness comes and goes. It's not meant to stay. Sadness comes and goes. But the one thing for me that must always stay is, is peace. Mm. If I can find a peaceful baseline as my sort of floor, my cement floor, Then I can allow all of the other emotions all day, every day, all year to come and go. There's never, there's no such thing as a great day or a horrible day. There's moments in every day that are the ones that you take away with you, and that's how you label that day. But actually, if you analyze it, it's every hour. You're happy for maybe a minute, you're sad for maybe five, Mm -hmm. you're angry for maybe 10, you know, and as long as you've got that sort of baseline where of peace where peace is your aim for me because I'm quite chaotic I need to have that constant reminder what what can I do to bring peace right now then everything else can come and go and you're not afraid when it comes in because you know you know it, it it will and it'll go again and it'll come back again and that acceptance is um is really healing because you're when it does pop in when the anger comes or you know the jealousy comes um you're not afraid you know you're not oh no i'm really angry oh no i'm really jealous i thought I was over being jealous you're never going to be over an emotion you know it's an mm-hmm. emotion let it visit let it visit
1: it's a visceral experience that is human nature You're listening to the Run Your Life podcast and on the show, poet Donna Ashworth. So far you've heard Donna talk about many different experiences in her life and the things that have really driven her to do the writing that she does. And when you think about the lessons and insights she has shared with us so far, what has come up for you? Can you connect with any thoughts and feelings she has shared based on her own journey of learning? And what do these lessons that she has shared spark within you in regards to the next steps you might need to take to better focus on your own self-care and mental health? And as we transition into the next part of the conversation, I want to hit the pause button and have you reflect back on early days in the coronavirus pandemic without a doubt there is not a person in the world who wasn't impacted by the pandemic so when you think about the pandemic and early days of the lockdown what was it like for you and your loved ones What kind of doubts, uncertainties, and anxieties crept into your life during that time? For me, I can clearly remember being on the fifth hole of the local golf course here in Saudi Arabia, which is right by our house, and I was playing with my son Eli. And we were approached by one of the staff to say that we had to immediately leave the course because the president of our university ordered a lockdown. And it was scary. We we knew it was coming, but we didn't think it would come in this way. So all of the community, we were given the message around the same time, and everybody just went home, and we were in total lockdown for five or six days. I mean, the lockdown lasted three months, but we couldn't leave our house at all for five or six days and had to get groceries delivered. And I just remember the stress and the uncertainty and just the craziness of the situation at that time. ...officially hitting the U.S. Here's what we know. A Washington state resident fell ill after returning from Wuhan, China.
2: Good evening. The coronavirus is the biggest threat this country has faced for decades. And this country is not alone. All over the world, we're seeing the devastating impact... Of this invisible killer. All of us were so, tonight, bombarded I at that time with
1: news of more to and more lockdowns happening around the world, which obviously led to a huge variety of mixed emotions. The most active hotspot right now is Italy. Nearly 200 people there have died in just the last 24 hours. Airports have been empty for several days, and now all stores except for pharmacies and food markets... And in Donna's case specifically... During that time, she committed herself to writing every day and getting her poetry out there to a wider audience. But in doing so, she, she knew she had to let go of many things within herself to be able to trust in her own process of writing. So you're going to hear her share that experience. And in the next part of our discussion, Donna talks about one of her poems called History Will Remember When the World Stopped and this poem went viral so you're going to hear the impact that this had on her and as you listen to this part of the discussion try to reflect on your own creative talents and the gifts you've developed that help to serve others to what extent are you doubling down on these creative talents in order to access what is truly possible within yourself I really do hope you enjoy the next part of my discussion with Donna Ashworth. I want to segue into your beautiful poem "When the World Stopped," which uh, went viral. And you know, when I heard it, I, I listened to it a few times. And for the listeners who do not know about this amazing poem "When the World Stopped," uh, I want to frame up the next part of our discussion by. Uh, letting the listeners know that this poem went viral and one day you heard the poem on Facebook if I think if I have the story correct you heard the poem on Facebook being read by world-renowned actors and actresses from Wales including Michael Sheen who is a political activist and a film director an amazing actor who has been in movies such as Brilliant Young Minds, The Queen, Frost, Nixon, Midnight in Paradise, Midnight in Paris, among uh, many other films. But to really set context, I want to actually play the poem for you, if it's okay, being read by those actors and actresses before I ask you the next question. So I'm going to play it now.
2: History will remember when the world stopped and the flights stayed on the ground and the cars parked in the street and the trains didn't run. History will remember when the schools closed and the children stayed indoors and the medical staff walked towards the fire and
1: And they they didn't didn't run. run. History will remember when the people sang on their
0: balconies
2: in isolation
0: but so very much together
2: in courage and in song history will remember when the
0: people
1: fought for their old and their weak protected the vulnerable by doing nothing at all history will
2: remember when the virus left and the house opened and the people came out and hugged and kissed and started again
1: kinder than before that is beautiful I I actually get teary-eyed thinking about the pandemic and being locked in not locked in but being with my family and those initial feelings of what is going on here and the, the fear but that God somehow gave us time together you know with the people we love but yeah it was such a special unique uncertain time but that poem would go on to be embraced by uh, amnesty international and many other huge organizations so what does it feel like for you hearing that poem being read by those people and and i want to ask you what does it feel like to really know that you were behind that and the impact it had
0: yeah it never doesn't give me goosebumps hearing it being read by with such gravitas by those voices And although I feel like that with every version that was done, a lot of schools did a version, some, you know, medical practices in America did a version. And and every time I hear it being read by anybody like that, where everybody takes a line, it it makes me cry because that was the feeling at the time. We were all apart and we, we were all so together. We had never been as together as we were terrified in that first moment, this was one, do you remember when Italy had, had terrible, you know, and the people were singing on the balconies and they were all coming out to, to boy each other up. And um, that example of human connection, when we weren't allowed to connect, I don't, I don't think it will ever leave any of us. Mm -hmm. I think we're all changed by it. So, um, we were terrified, and that little poem was like a little life raft that we could all cling on to. And <laughs> and the kinder than before ending gave, you know, a purpose to it. Yeah. Yes, we're going to come out of this kinder, you know. And um, obviously many, many things have changed since then, and we're in a completely different phase. But at that time, it was very much what we needed to do. Um And it's it's just, I'm so proud to be in any way a part of something positive at a time that was difficult.
1: Yeah. And what was that process like for you? Like, and this is part of a a question that I want to ask you about your creative process and advice um, that you have for people to better bring out their own creative process. But what was your creative process like putting pen to paper? How long did it take to write that? And what was going on for you at the time when you began to put pen to paper to put that together?
0: The same as every day I wake up. My lovely husband brings me a coffee because he's a morning bird mm-hmm. and I'm not. And uh, and I write. And I made a, a pact with myself at the beginning that I would not edit, overanalyze. At that point, everything that I wrote was shared that day. Um, Because I decided I would write every day during the pandemic, and I pretty much did. Um, So I woke up, I had my coffee, I wrote that poem like I do, like I did every day, and off it went on Facebook. And it trickled along like they all did at that point. And it wasn't until maybe a few hours later that it started to pick up uh, Mm -hmm. speed, speed, speed. And when that happens on the internet, it's really quite fascinating. Mm -hmm. You can't call it, you can't predict it. You could share the same poem on a different day, and, it, you know, it might not fly. So it's to do with a moment in time. It's a little whirlpool of all things coming together in the right way, and off it went. Um, it didn't take me long to write. I don't decide to write things. They kind of come ready uh, ready written, and then I just put them down. I might chop and change it slightly within a 20-minute period, but not much. Um,
1: Did you feel like this – like – uh, when I say this, I don't mean that you criticize your own work in any way, or you think, "Oh no, no, th- this isn't quite ready to go out." But did you feel something special when you were writing it, or did you feel no. like th- it was no. no different than any other piece?
0: No, and I wrote much better poems in the lockdown.
1: Yeah,
0: and um, I I do criticize myself, which is why I don't edit my work. I will spell check it normally after I press send. <laughs> Because yeah. you're your best proofreading once you publish something. Um, uh, so I had to do that. I had to say to myself, if you're going to do this, if you're going to write poetry, you have to let go of that piece. You cannot bring it back and edit it and bring it back you must write it and let it go and let it do what it's going to do and it will resonate with who it's going to resonate with so um, that's what I've always done and only now that I'm making books do I start to put a bit more thought into well I want the book to to have an aspect of everything in it so I'll make sure but back then I was just writing and putting it out in social media so yeah off it went and I didn't think it was special Um, and, um, it, it just, you, you can't really control what the words are going to do. They have to, they have to go and do their thing. And I'm just glad if it happens.
1: Oh, that's amazing. And Seth, do you know Seth Godin? No. Okay. Seth Godin is a, he's written a number of books. He's a, just a phenomenal, he has a a blog called Seth's blog where he has written a blog every day for the last 15 years or something. Yeah. And his whole thing is, I have the book um, upstairs actually, but he he says uh, his book is ship it. It's not about perfection; just ship your work out into the world. Yes, and I'm the same, yeah. And but y- going back to your early perfectionist self and the ability to overcome that perfectionism, some people never let perfectionism go, and it holds yeah. them back and is the root of all of their anxiety in life and the pressure that they put themselves under to be perfect for the world in such an imperfect shitty world at times. So I, I, and I know that you see and commend yourself for letting go of your perfectionist self, but what a gift to be able to have done that in your life, because if you were not able to let go of that person, you would never have impacted the world through your work.
0: I wouldn't. And I mean, you know, Perfectionism is death to all cre- creativity. As this comparison. You have to, you know, you have to trust that the words that you wanted to say were the words that you wanted to say. And yeah, you could rearrange them, and yeah, you could do similar to what someone else does. But what would be the point of that?
2: Yeah. It
0: wouldn't be. It wouldn't be real. It wouldn't be. And and you have poetic license. It's a wonderful thing. No one can really criticize poets because that's the whole point of poetry. But I remember in the very beginning, I would send something out and I would watch and watch and watch. And if anybody said anything in any way not positive, delete, I would delete the whole thing. Mm. And that was when I said, Right, am I doing this or am I not doing it? Because if I am doing it, I have to just do it. And it has to not be formed by other people's opinions. And I cannot be afraid about it, you know, the next day and cringe and delete. So um, that letting go is the reason why I have seven books or any books at all. And, you know, I I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you now on this podcast if I hadn't been able to let that go. So my biggest piece of advice to anybody who wants to know how to begin is to begin. And once once it's done, let it go. It's no longer attached to you. It doesn't reflect on you. It's a piece of work in its own. It's its own little thing now. You have to let it go and do its job. And that helps that that separation, you know, it helps.
1: Oh, absolutely! And and my uh, little
0: birdie from the nest. (laughs)
1: Yeah, yeah, it's it's beautiful advice, and to be able to do that, the gap between knowing that we need to do it and actually doing it is huge for some people. And if I just share my own experience with my TED Talk is that I put this together and I was like invited to give it. And I went through all of the rounds of feedback from the TED committee. And it was about four days before I was going for a run. And I was like, I'm not sure I'm going to do this now. And I had this huge anxiety and doubt. And I, I ran past the auditorium where I was going to do the talk. And then I was like, I'm not doing it. There's no possible way I can get up and do it. I've given lots of other talks. I'm just going to talk about why being an educator is so important to me and I can pull it off. I grabbed four days and by the time I got back to the house, I I was like, no, no, I have to do this, you know, whatever I have to do it. And I got up and did it. And I was so proud for having had the courage to get up and do it. And so that resonates with me. And from that point on, I began to share more of my truth. And and without fear of judgment. Um, there's a acronym FOPO, fear of other people's opinions. Mm-hmm. And I learned to really let that go. And and I continue to try to speak my truth in authentic ways because I wanted to inspire others to do the same. So what comes up for me when you share your experience is my experience doing that, which goes back to collective consciousness, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I think. A lot of my poems are about imperfectionism, <clears throat> which is a word I think I've, I like to think I've coined. Um, and once you call that judgment on yourself and let everybody know that you have been your own worst critic for your whole life, there's nothing they can say that that will bring you down. I mean, I I attracted a troll in the very early days of my page. And I don't mean a Facebook troll. I mean a troll who emailed me through the blog and you, if you have a website, you will know that you all you have to do is make up an email um, to fill in the form. You know the contact yeah. form. Yeah. Well, actually, I have to put your real email in there. And so this these messages were only for me. Nobody else saw them because I deleted them immediately. Uh, so that person went out of their way to say awful, personal, awful things to me over a period of a year. And I blocked and blocked and blocked her IP address. And, IP, and this person would go into the supermarkets or shopping centres to use their Wi-Fi because her IP address was blocked. This person wanted to destroy me. And actually, it was the best thing that ever happened to me because I came. You know, they say never feed a troll, never let a troll know that they've got you. Well, I thought, that's not me. You know, I am an emotional person. I'm not going to pretend it's not upsetting me. It's killing me. Mm-hmm. So I came on and I told my followers what was happening, and uh, the the upsurge of positivity and support that came from that was the thing that spurred me and and moved me on to really start writing more deeply because people will say to you, you know, oh, don't don't ever let the troll know. Don't ever, you know, you're just going to make it work. And I've never been that person to hide how mm-hmm. I'm feeling. Um, so sharing the worst things that were happening to me and, you know, it felt quite um, trite at the time to say this is actually really upsetting me because there are bigger things going on in the world than somebody insulting me, yeah. you know, in private um, but actually, other people went, No, that's awful. That's horrible. And it's all right, you know. And that was the start of me um, going, No, if I feel something, I'm going to share it. And because it's authentic, it's who I am, and it's true. Um, and so I followed that ever since. So some of the worst things that you think you should hide away and keep secret are actually the things that you should share because if it's happening to anybody else, then, you know, it, we all had a laugh about it in the long run. And in the end, she disappeared. So, mm. yeah.
1: But I it's such a, it's, it. it's, City yeah, had <laughs> such a metaphor for um, the struggles that people experience. In the last part of the podcast, Donna and I discuss a recent interview she did with BBC Scotland, which was just a few days ago. But in this interview, she was given a chance to share why she writes in the first place and how she hopes to use her talents as a poet to inspire others to access and apply their own creative talents And she was on the show because the focus was uh, World Poetry Day, so they asked her to come on and share her work. Uh, In this part of the podcast, you will hear another one of Donna's brilliant poems being read. And as you listen to it, what comes up for you? And how do her words in the poem impact you in regards to your own potential? but also the barriers that might get in the way of you better fulfilling this potential. Something to think about as we move toward an end of this podcast. I really do hope that you can share my episode with Donna, either on social media or by sending it to a friend or family member so they can have a listen. This podcast is a genuine passion project of mine. But I do ask for your help in introducing my podcast to new listeners. As well, I'd love to hear your thoughts on social media. You can hit me up on Twitter or LinkedIn. You can find me at Andy Vasley. So I really do hope that I hear from people and better understand what it was that resonated with them as a result of my conversation with Donna. You will be able to find links to Donna's work in the show notes of today's episode, I want to thank you again for your time and energy and for tuning into my podcast with the brilliant and inspiring Donna Ashworth. Let's now jump into the last part of our discussion. in segueing into the end of the podcast, I want to go into uh, your BBC interview recently on uh, BBC Scotland. And I'm going to share another poem uh, that was shared in the podcast a couple days ago. So this is very recent, maybe three or four days ago, you're on BBC Scotland. Yes. That's yeah. right. And you really emphasize in this short interview, it's 12 minutes, but you, you emphasize that everybody is a poet, which means everybody has creativity inside of them that needs to be shared. Everybody has their truth and you give permission to people to don't worry about the structure of writing. Don't worry about, you know, formulas for writing just write, Even if it's a quote, get it out. Right. And it was beautiful. And I was listening to it and, and I want to share, again, a clip from it um, so people can actually hear the poem. And then I'll, I'll ask you uh, a question about it and then we'll move into the last part of the podcast. OK?
0: Great.
2: Well, look, um, you're here today, as we say, World Poetry Day, um, and you you prepared one. Here's one you made earlier. We're going to hear <laughs> this, this poem, uh, which Donna recorded for us. Um, so uh, this is simply called Poetry.
0: Poetry flows through your fingers. Each time you send a morning text, a beacon of hope to arrive just in time as anxiety pulls into the driveway. Poetry breathes through your patience as you scare away those angry words circling your head like hungry birds and choose kinder ones instead. Words to help the heal. Poetry lives in you, my friend, every time you share an ugly truth that reaches in and pulls someone up out of the mire with its knowing. That caring, proverbial hand to stand. Ask anyone who loves you. They will tell you of a thing that you once said that brought in light and chased the dread. That net you cast to catch them as they fall. You may not even see it but you do love poetry. You are poetry and you speak it every day.
1: What a gift that is, you know. Oh. Donna Donna seriously like people listening to that, you're really trying to reach into their core to help them understand that there is something within themselves that is so worth sharing. And you know, just talk about that concept that metaphor of everybody has a poet within and what people can learn about themselves by putting pen to paper and writing their truth in whatever form that truth reveals itself.
0: I mean, I was going to read a different poem for World Poetry Day. I wrote it for World Poetry Day and it was called uh, Rope Ladder, about how poetry can save lives. And then I thought, that this was the day before, I thought, actually, I've got nine minutes. What, what, what do I want? I don't just want to tell people that poetry can save lives and, you know, poetry has a huge impact. I want, them to, I want them to connect with poetry and I want to remind them because every day on my pages I see people writing a message to one another under the poems that I've shared and some of the things that they say to one another are beautiful um, these little nuggets of support and from strangers a lot of the time. And then there are people who share one of my poems and then they write a couple of lines above it for their friends and followers to read. And some of those little lines above, they, they add energy to my poetry and that goes off. And what they've written is beautiful. I see it all the time. And that is poetry and the reason they've done it is because they don't know they're they're not sitting down to write a poem what they've done is they've shared my poem and they've gone I saw this in here and I felt and they're not even realizing that they're they're adding to it with their own poetic energy and that's why it's beautiful because they they're not being judged the poem is mine but look at what they've written above it look at what they've written below it I see it every single day people choose words that help heal. And that is poetry for me. The choosing of the words in the right order for the right reason, with the right intention. And I just wanted to show people that um, I see you doing it all the time. You don't even know you're doing it. So if I was to say to you, write a poem, you would clam up and you would think, oh, am I rhyming? Am I not rhyming? How many verses is it going to have? Is it going to be? And that's where it all falls apart. And I want them to know that when I sit down to write a poem, I don't think about how it's going to scan or how it's going to look. I think about the message that I want to give. And it might rhyme, it might not rhyme, it might follow a structure, it might not. Um, And that is the freedom to, it's about the words that you have chosen and the message that you're really in. And that's it. And everybody does it without realising.
1: Oh, that's beautiful. I love it. And a perfect segue into... um my last question. And then I'm going to ask people where they can find you. And, you know, it's not hard, but I'll still ask for your social media handles and stuff. But, you know, Denzel Washington uh, gave a great commencement speech. And it was very striking, this part of the conversation where he was talking to a graduating class. And he talks about this idea of the ghosts of unfulfilled potential, how the ghosts, when we're on our deathbed, And it's kind of morbid, but we're on our deathbed. And these ghosts of unfulfilled potential surround us. And they're angry at us. And they're pissed off because they gave us talents that we never acted on. They gave us ideas that we never acted on and skills that we never acted on. And now they have to go to the grave together with us, never having Mm -hmm. us realized our potential. So when you look back on your life one day and the impact you've had, how will you know you've lived to your full potential even when life was hardest for you?
0: I mean, the quickest way to live is to imagine dying. That morbidity that you talk about is the fastest way to put yourself back into the moment and see big picture everything around you. And I've always had a very morbid brain What if? What if? When I couldn't stop myself projecting into the future, all these, you know, awful uh, possibilities. But actually, it's a brilliant way of reminding yourself what what we're here for. What's the point? What's it all about? You know, who you impact and who cares about the car that you're driving? And nobody that's not impressing anybody ever after you are gone. They're going to remember something you said to them, though, or something, a story you told them that they're going to tell and they're going to tell, um, something that you created that will live on after, you know, that's going to inspire people after you've gone. So the whole morbidity thing features a lot in my poems, but I never leave it there. I always bring it back to how can this implement today? How can this help you remember who you are and what you can do? And these unfulfilled ghosts that you're talking about, they're all squashed down by fear. Fear is the biggest thing. Fear of rejection, fear of failure, fear that of risks that I may take, fear of putting myself out there. And, you know, the only barrier between your best self living your best life, however that may look, and for some people it's really simple. It's, it's just getting out the house that day and enjoying being outside and having fresh air and meeting up with a friend. It doesn't have to be jumping off a cliff you know, or hike in the Grand Canyon, your best life is about being in the moment and allowing yourself to be in the moment and be at peace and feel joy. And if you can do that every single day and if you can fight the fear every single day, then there will be nothing left unfulfilled. You know, you will. Mm -hmm. The things that are really important for you to fulfill will be done. Um, It's behind fear.
1: Yeah, that's beautiful. Um, I asked you to, um, share a poem with us, but before doing that, I want to end with the poem, but can you just let people know where they can find your books, um, your website, your social media handles, uh, so that people can follow your work if they're not right now?
0: Uh, donnaashworth.com is my website Mm -hmm. and you can find all my books on Amazon. And that's just the easiest way internationally. Is, is on Amazon. I have seven books and there is another Donna Ashworth who writes books, but they're not the same kind of books. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes it's a bit confusing, but mine's are poetry books. So they're quite easy to distinguish. So yeah, if you type in Donna Ashworth, I will appear like okay. magic.
1: <laughs> okay, great. And uh, I'll put a link to all of your books in the show notes so that people can find them, the links to them. But um, yes, yeah, so in closing, can you please share a poem for us that's resonating with you right now that you want to leave the listeners with.
0: I will and I wanted to do this one. It's very short, very sweet, but again, it's a perspective flip that can actually uh have huge impact. Uh, and it's one that isn't in any of my books yet. It will be in my next book, but I do share it quite often because it does fly around and it does spread a lot of light. So this one is called you. If every single person who has liked you in your lifetime were to light up on a map, it would create the most glitteringly beautiful network you could imagine. Throw in the strangers you've been kind to, the people you've made laugh or inspired along the way, and that star bright network of you would be an impressive sight to behold. You're so much more than you think you are. You have done so much more than you realize you are trailing a bright pathway that you don't even know about what a thing what a thing indeed
1: so beautiful what a great way to end the show donna um thank you so much for your time it's been wonderful to reconnect and i did say pre-recording that that uh my family will visit uh, you and your family in scotland at some point but thank you so much donna
0: Thank you so much for having me, Andy. It's been a joy, and I'm so happy that you invited me. Thank you.
1: So I'm going to close off the show, and then I'll just say bye to you. So everybody, thank you very much for listening to this episode with Donna Ashworth, and I hope you come back to listen to future episodes.
2: You'll still have me in the way You gotta get up to get down, kid You gotta get down to get up again Got to get up to get down kid You got to get down to get up again your mother like she's made of gold after all she brought you here and if you're lost go see the ocean it will always help you steer someday you will be stronger than you are now but you will not know everything When the water's spilling over the bow You'll still have me in the wind You gotta get up to get down, kid You gotta get down to get up again You gotta get up to get down, kid You gotta get down to get up again than I am now And I still won't know everything When I'm passing up and over the clouds I hope that you'll have learned from me Someday you will be stronger than you are now But you will not know everything the water spilling over the bow. You'll still have me in the way. You gotta get up to get down, kid. You gotta get down to get up again. You gotta get up to get down, kid. You gotta get down to get up again. You gotta get up to get down, can't. You gotta get down to get up again. You gotta get up to get down, Ken. not You gotta get down to get up again.